0: Welcome to Born to Sell Denver with Brian Smith. Sean Motor is on special assignment today. And so we have a special guest joining us, Tammy Daly.
1: Hello there.
0: So welcome, Tammy. And Tammy's here with Keith Alba and Tyson Mullis. Yo. And uh, we are here to talk about stats. The stats just came out. New month, new stats. That's right. Exactly. So, Keith. Start us off. What are we going to talk about first?
2: Yeah, so we'll talk, like we started last time, with the average close price. Uh, When we're looking at the single family closed, our average sales price for last month was 737,617, astronomical number there just in and of itself, which equated to a 2%, 2 2.4% actually increase over last month. Um, But over last year down, last year in this month, we were at 791,759. So, well, interesting kind of a, a number there. But I think if we look back at last year and what was going on in the market at this that this time in March, it was still at low interest rates. There wasn't that much uh, buyer fallout by, by March of last year.
0: Yeah, I think it really the graphs show that it was going up like a crazy amount up till April. And then the numbers started to come down a little bit rates started edging up. They got up to six and a half, you know, high sixes. And it was interesting. Tammy and I were talking uh, before we got on this podcast about how when I bought my first house in 1997, my interest rate was eight and a half percent. And Tammy, you... 8.25. 8.25.
1: Yep.
0: And I remember talking to my mom at that point and uh, she bought... My mom and my dad bought their house in 1972. And... Their interest rate was 6.5%. And she said to me, Oh, you'll never get a rate that low. Oh, 6.5%? Yeah. yeah. And so they lived, though, through the times of the double digits, you know, 12, 15, even up to 18%. And so we had kind of the opposite effect at that point. Now there was a little bit of shock from buyers, spe- especially who saw rates go from 4% to 6.5% at a pretty you know, rapid pace. What yep. was the average sales price back then, Brian? Well, you know, the house that my parents bought, it was $42,000. Yeah. My house that I bought in 1997 in Platt Park was $150,000. would not you like to have about 10 of those right now? Right.
2: Yeah,
1: no kidding. At the risk of sounding old, mine was 85000 for a duplex, both sides. Oh, wow. Wow. Where was that at? That was in Fort Worth, Texas. Okay.
2: Okay. So... Uh, it looks like prices are trending up again, yeah, and i you know expect that to continue the you know we 'll talk about this probably a little bit later, but for me, the story continues to be inventory or lack thereof that 's right
0: in fact, um, you know I think the other part of that also is new construction, and we uh Colorado. Actually, the population has increased by about 1.4 million since the year 2000. That's 50% growth. There's only nine cities in the country that have a population over 1.4 million. So in other words, we added a major city to our state with the population that we've added. And construction hasn't kept up. You know, there's just not enough new construction going on right now to satisfy the 66,000 people on average that are moving to our state over the last 10 years.
1: And it's going to continue. I mean, it's going to, we probably have 10 years of lack of inventory with the new builds and with resales.
2: Right. Okay. Yep. And where the, where's the inventory going to come from? Right. <laughs> That's the question. And, There are people that are out there, I'm having conversations with them, and they are in the need to move. They'd like to list their house, right? But they're at a 3% interest rate. So let's say they were looking to downsize. They're empty nesters now. They're looking to get into a smaller house, and they go to the mortgage company, and the payment's going to be the same for a smaller house than what they're currently in, and they're going to be at a 6.5% interest rate. And for them, it's just not worth it. They'll stick with the pain of having a larger house than what they need um, or a smaller house than what they desire, just because of the savings that they're making on those interest rates.
1: Well and we were saying earlier this year or the lenders would say a lot like date the rate and marry the house. And now it's more like marry the rate and hate the house. You know, <laughs> and it's 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 people are just not, you know, the you're right, they're they're not moving as quickly and they're just kind of staying put and putting up with
3: Marry the some. rate and don't rent. Yeah. that's the only thing right but real estate still is
2: the best wealth builder that is out there 100 percent. and so yes it's a little bit more painful in regards to the interest rate that these buyers are paying at the moment but it is still a great vehicle for building generational wealth for you know families for you know relatives things along those lines and so I think there will become a point where people become a little bit more accustomed to their rates, where you know it's six in front of it isn't as shocking, um, but until that, until that adjustment comes, it's going to be uh, kind of par for the course of what we're experiencing now.
1: Well, and historically, when there's a switch, uh, a, an adjustment in rate, it's like an eight-week adjustment period, mm-hmm. where people are like, okay, it's quiet for eight weeks, and then they're like, okay, this is the new new. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, these... Latest numbers are way different than that. It's we're still adjusting.
3: Did you see recently that um, the boomers are now the top buyers over millennials? I saw that actually. What do you think about that? Well, it's it's fun just sitting here. You guys talk about it and like generational wealth and wealth and interest rates and and well, boomers now took over as the as the number one buying class and. They're the ones that have low, uh, low mortgages. That interest really doesn't bother them. So they take all the equity when they sell their place and go purchase something. They're still going to have a low mortgage, if not no mortgage. Maybe they're cash buyers, right? So those are the ones that are buying right now, and because interest rate really doesn't affect them as much. And here we are talking about seven percent, six percent. That's nothing. Back in my day, you know. (laughs) Right.
0: Well, you know, I, I think real estate though still is a uh, it's a business of the motivated, finding the motivated right now. And uh, we talked about this earlier um, on another podcast that we did this morning. That um, I think the motivated are different than they have been in the past. You know, in the past you could look for people who are having you know, like getting married, having kids, uh, getting job promotions. I think now a lot of the things are negative motivations. You know, like, for example, um, I lost my job or I can't afford my groceries and so I have to lower my house price or my mortgage. Um, You know, I'm possibly behind on my payment, things like that. Because, like, if you think back to 2007, 2008, which, you know, Keith and and Tammy and I were were practicing real estate at that point, you you were still probably, what, 10 years old, Tyson. (laughs) And so, um, you know, at that point... That was like, wasn't that like 40% of the business at one point was
2: short sales and, and foreclosures? Would, <clears throat> distressed properties that would you know, qualify as, it got up to at least the third for and held there for a long time, probably spiked up to the 40% and stuff.
0: Yeah, and so, you know, we had 33,000 houses on the market in 2009. And looking at the numbers right now, uh, we have 4,196 active listings, which is up, okay, that's up slightly, so we did see an increase in inventory. Um new listings were up fourth to four thousand nine hundred and twenty-one, uh, which was up fifty percent from last month,
3: but uh down from last year. Okay, so I'm sorry, you know, can you go back and say that again? I get I get the world that we're in now, forty two hundred active listings. How many when you that number that you said thirty three thousand <laughs> in in one month no at uh, one time yeah
0: all it, the time all the time thirty three thousand I mean what so here's the thing, so here 's how it looked, so you actually would pick up a buyer and you could go look at twenty houses and still be able to wait to make an offer because you know if you didn 't get the first one you like, you'd certainly get the second one, but the thing about it is prices are going to keep going up in Denver as long as the the number of listings, the active listing stays down, and there's multiple offers on on every offer. Mm-hmm. And so I think a balanced market in Denver is probably somewhere between 10 and 12,000 houses on the market, and we're nowhere even close to that. We have 41, I mean, almost 4,200, right? So we're years away unless something catastrophic happens we're years away from having a balanced market, where in a balanced market, your prices probably don't go up significantly. But we're not anywhere, anywhere close to that,
2: okay? Yeah. And and I don't see it coming. I, I think you're absolutely right, Brian, when you say something catastrophic is going to have to happen in order to bring that inventory. <clears throat> I've been watching the Notice of Election in Demands on a weekly basis. And those average somewhere between, I would say, 70 to 100 a week that are starting that foreclosure process. Yep. But the really interesting part is you flip to the certificate of purchases that are actually issued, 12 to 15 mm. a week. So somewhere in that foreclosure timeline, the buyers, borrowers are curing or selling and paying off the loans, and uh, it's just not hitting the market as a foreclosure, and they're not coming. Of those 12 to 15, roughly a third of them, are going back to the bank. The, mm-hmm. other, the rest of them, the other two-thirds, are being bought by investors, mm-hmm. LLCs, individuals, things along those lines. And they're going to fix and flip them, or they're going to put tenants in them after they fix them up. Do you, do you remember the the
0: Excel spreadsheet that used to come out with the, the notice of election
2: demand list, and it was pages and pages and pages long? That was my door knocking list for the week <laughs> is I would pull that up and I'd go out and start door knocking those doors and I think that's a great lead generation strategy now is to get to those people and help them cure find solutions for that, or and one of the cures may be to list it and sell it before that public trustee sale
0: that's right because back in two thousand eight nine people didn't have equity right now they have you know a significant equity, and so they can cure they can sell back then it was kind of like. Well, I'm just going to live here long enough
2: until the bank kicks me out. Mm-hmm. Until they show up with the, you know, the moving truck and the sheriff to, to take me out, yeah. uh, sort of a piece. But, yeah, now it's, people have equity. I would say people have equity so long as they bought greater than three years ago or they had a sizable down payment, went with a conventional something along those lines. If they are low down payment, no down payment, a VA, for instance, there may not have been enough equity growth in order to be able to cover the cost of sales for them at this point.
0: So is there anything right now that's going to stop the increases in in sales, uh, an average sales price?
1: I mean, I think demand, you know, it's always supply and demand. So, you know, there's continuing to be a demand. I don't think we're going to see the acceleration in price like we've seen.
2: Agreed. I don't think it's going to go as crazy. But I think we look back at the end of this year, and if everything <clears throat> remains stable as to what it is now, we will see an appreciation. Yeah. Maybe more like we're accustomed to, somewhere along that trend of 3 to 4% on an annual normal basis, which is healthy. We got to a point there where it was really crazy. And
3: 20% is not healthy. No. Yeah. I okay, could, but uh, you know,
2: at the same time, it was
0: 2.4% in the last month, right? It, and so... You know what is adequate to if it keeps going up at that pace, then it is gonna be you know
2: rapid uh, increase in prices right yeah seasonally or do speaking, you guys see it cooling down at some point, I think we're gonna be right on the typical seasonal trends right I, we're exactly we're hitting the the
3: beginning of the look the selling the, market, the peak look uh, at twenty twenty one average close price if you look at that chart mm-hmm. the red line, look at the purple line for twenty twenty three I mean Kind of I right think, in line I think we're going to mirror that nicely. Hopefully, my sales look like that come into May, June, <laughs> and then I'll take a December off. What is it? No, September and October off a little bit. <laughs> just joking. So, so this,
2: a this is a podcast; they can't see what you're talking about, Tyson. Why don't you explain with the
3: graph? Shows sorry, yeah, the average <laughs> close price on. <laughs> they can't see what I'm looking at. Um, average close price was started at for 2021, just under 650, and. Finished out the year just under seven hundred thousand, so fifty percent. I mean fifty thousand um, dollars. What is that? About eight percent. There you go. Nine percent somewhere around. Yep. There. So, and if the trend line for twenty twenty three, if it the way it started looks very similar to twenty twenty one, if it finishes out, then possibly something like that is what we might be looking at. Right.
0: Now you made a comment the last time we did this, and you said the highest price. I, wish, I was actually going to record this and play it back for you. You said the highest price that Denver's ever going to see for the next 10 years was, that would have been in uh, yep.
3: April Last of year. 2022. 8 dollars eight it looks like. Yep. Yeah. And so I could be wrong. <laughs> Usually I'm not. And?
1: And humble. Yeah. <laughs> um,
3: my thing back on that is I keep going back to, you asked the question, uh, what would make all of this change and i keep going back to affordability and i keep looking at the the whole pie 100% of someone's income and house pricing now they're, to have a roof over your head that is renting or owning your your new number is 3000 plus a month okay that's and then a lot of people's payments haven't gone up so their their whole the 100% real revenue that they're making hasn't really gone up and now they're the of that is going to a roof over your head, where 25% is going to just food and gas. Like real fast. I stopped at the store last night with my, had to get a snack for my son. Snack turned into a couple boxes of cereal, turned into this, turned into that. Two bags, $100, right? Nothing to show for it. Some cinnamon toast crunch, and that's about it. You
1: suck at shopping. I do suck at shopping.
3: It but would have been less if you brought your own bags. Okay. <laughs> we did. We carried them out. <laughs> okay, see, that's who I am. And I'll save 10 cents. Um, but going back to the whole pie of someone's money, yep. affordability is going down. And we've just lived. And I, this is where I, I think America and our short-term thinking, uh, we have, it, things have been too good too long. You know, usually, the cycles are every seven years. It's been like 12. Like, it's got to come down. So, yeah, I'm still sticking with 825. That's the peak average sales price for the next decade. We'll have to do this for the next decade, and every month will
0: test me. Well, the last time it started going down in 2007, we had, I believe, it was four or five years of declining prices. And then it took 10 years to get back to where we were at the peak. Yep. Okay. Um, I think one of the things that, that you have to factor in though is population growth here and, you know, without having enough new construction and having high levels of population growth here, that creates a situation where you have low inventory and you have people fighting over a small amount of houses. I mean, how many times have you guys heard the last couple of weekends? Remember like at the end of last year, the multiple offers on listings kind of, faded away, mm-hmm. right? There were some good ones that got multiple multiple offers, but not like the previous year where there was 10 offers on every house. Now, think about that. You had nine people who wanted the same house, so you could have listed nine more houses in that area and had enough buyers to satisfy that person. So the end of last year, that faded away. However, I think we're starting to see more reoccurrences of multiple offers. Am I?
1: Yeah. Well, and I would say I didn't see so much a fade as it was like a light switch. It was, you know, it was mega multiple offers and then it was crickets and sellers that hadn't been educated and we were still trying to catch up and they're going, why isn't my house selling? And, you know, like, and then now, yeah, multiple offers are back. It looks different this time. It's not as many.
2: Not as many and the buyers aren't having to give up as much. Right, They're still yep. able to keep some of their contingencies. They're not having to come in with appraisal gap guarantees in most cases, I would say. The sweethearts of the properties, the ones that look the best in great areas that, that are priced appropriately, are definitely getting multiple offers. Um, and some of them are having to do some of those, you know, just a, as is. i will only do an inspection termination, won't get an objection type of a thing. But not as bad as it was you know last year and the year before
1: right. like we're seeing more like 5% above list price versus $10,000 yeah, 20 yeah. <laughs> well in
2: march it was
0: the the actual number is uh 98.9% I'm sorry 99.8%. So pretty much 100% of list price.
2: Yeah. People are
0: paying.
3: 0.9% up from the month prior. Right. So I think we'll see different and, when these closings happen the numbers next month but it's 6.6% lower than what it was last year.
0: So last year was 106.4%. You had to pay for uh, a house over list price, and now you're paying list price. But I I expect that number actually to go up. I bet you it's over 100% after April.
2: I agree. Mm -hmm. I mean... This is March, right? And so we just came out of basically two weeks of spring break. So families are gone. They're not looking for houses. They're not going to be doing those sorts of things. We've got you a know, big holiday this weekend that's coming up. It's going to take buyers out of the market. But I think the rest of the April is going to be very active. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of buyers that are out there working the games to 2-1 buy-downs or interest rate buy-downs, getting some concessions for properties that have been sitting out for a little while. Um, but it's going to be... It's going to be crazy.
1: I think it's going to be the highest point of the year. And especially if the weather comes, if it's nice outside, we'll see even more.
3: Yep. I agree. As we sit here in a snowy, cold, freezing day. (laughs) (laughs) And it has been a cold winter. I mean, that, like, really, I am coming out of hibernation now. (laughs) Yesterday I was in shorts and today I'm back in hibernation. But by this weekend, let's go. You know, it's spring. Spring has sprung. That's right. It sounds
0: like you're making a prediction, though, Tammy. So what's Uh your prediction?
1: Which prediction are you the looking for? The
0: you, prediction you were just talking about.
1: Well, April will be our best month for the year. And it typically is unless there's some kind of craziness going on. Pandemic. Let's make sure to schedule that. her for May. And when we're
3: looking at these numbers; we can hold her to that. So,
1: <laughs> okay, so I am cheating a little bit because I <laughs> I was watching the Megan Eller videos yesterday, yeah. and you know, one thing that they pointed out was in May, you know, that there's something special going on every weekend of May, which you know, there's a Cinco de Mayo, there's Memorial Day, there's you know, Mother is it Mother's Day in May, and so there's something every weekend. And that affects that affects graduations. Buyers, graduations. Right. Mm-hmm. And so April historically is our best month unless something weird is going on. And um, you know just looking at the numbers I have my prediction for what I think are Give what will us end us the go. year. Yeah let's hear you it. You want my here? Let's hear the it. The yeah. average close price for the end of Twenty twenty three is going to be seven hundred and sixteen thousand.
3: Seven hundred and sixteen? Yep. How's that well, compare
0: to now? So right now, that'll be 20, so this is, less. is this single family or is this single family and condos?
1: This is single family.
3: Okay. So that'd be twenty thousand dollars less than it is right now. Right. So we're, we're at the high point up, of the tick year. Up. Yep. Yep. Okay.
1: Well, and my big science ex- or big uh, math equation is that's three percent increase uh, from the beginning of the year. Okay.
2: Okay. Good prediction. I do like it. I'll take the over. Ooh. You're gonna take the over.
3: Okay. <laughs> what do you think? Um seven sixteen, we're at seven
1: thirty-seven
3: now. Yep. I'd go I'd go on the over, but not by much. If you gave me a different if you gave me the number now, seven thirty-seven, I'd take the under. What do you, you take on seven <laughs> thirty-seven? shine up
2: the crystal ball right rub my head here a <laughs> little bit um
3: i think it's he, gonna be close he has a think- bald head people that's why he said that yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> i i think we're gonna be right there i i would say my prediction for the end of the year is 740 ish okay. so uh-huh. uh technically i guess i'm taking the over on you too tyson okay Write
3: that down, people. Yeah.
2: We'll
1: have to meet up again that's at the right. end of the year. Totally.
2: I just don't see us having quite the shock of an interest rate jump like we did last year that drove so many buyers out of the market uh, on those sorts of things. So was, we're going to definitely have a great April. Yep. We'll have good May and then plateau through the summer months and then start re- pulling back again as we get towards the holiday season and the end of the year. So I think this based month. off of what you get this month and next month, that's going to carry us through. So we'll peak... I'll probably say May in terms of pricing uh for the year, and then I'll start pulling back from there, but I don't think it'll get below seven forty
3: okay, and that's my thing. I think going back to america America is the way we work is uh we like to spend money, and I think we're all holding on to like the 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 affordability that we have had the lifestyles that we've been living have been great, but again going back to we we're gonna run out of money here soon in our in our pie unless we're somehow making more money like uh, investing wise i'm not it's hard to even find investments now to go put money in to then make more money right so like everything's just slowly the faucets are kind of being turned off the bougie lifestyle needs to slow down a little bit and that's where i think america ultimately it's going to catch up to us is that we've been living fat and you got to cut some off cut, cut some of the fat off
0: but I think one of the, the things you have to factor in that, to that is unemployment. So when unemployment is really low, that puts pressure on employers to pay more money. Okay. So I think right now people who do well financially are doing better than they've ever done. Um, they're making more money. Okay. It's the low income earners I think are the ones that are struggling. And I think you have a new a completely new generation of people who work jobs like Uber. You know, like think about like when you were 16 years old, you went and you got a job and it was either McDonald's or it was the grocery store, sacking Groceries, or I worked in a movie theater. I worked in a golf course, but that was typically the jobs that you got. And and then when you uh, graduated from high school, there was an expectation that you'd get a next step up job. And then when you graduated from college, you got your professional job. My first job Right out of college, I was making $24,000 a year with a college degree. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now people are making the decision to have three gig jobs like Uber and, you know, DoorDash. Own their
3: own fleet of Ubers.
0: Yeah. And things like that. And it's completely different. So the entry level job as an employer is one of the hardest jobs to hire for right now because people would rather go have freedom to go drive Uber and make the same amount of money as somebody who could come to work for 40 hours a week and and be in an office job, right? And so it's just a different mentality right now. Those people are probably making a little bit less money, but they're also having more freedom. But the people who have the professional jobs, you can charge more than you've ever charged before. You know, you look at, if you go to, to see your doctor right now, the second that I step into that office, it's $180, okay? $180 for... You know, what amounts to be a 10-minute conversation with a doctor, right? So that number's come up a lot higher. So people who are in the higher level, higher professional jobs are charging more than they've ever charged, making more money than they've ever made. And so that flow of money for that group of people is – and it's also the group of people who buy the houses, right? So in Denver, you know, think about the fact that if you're somebody who's graduating from from college right now and you're like, I have a job – and I'm making $70,000 a year. I'm loving it right now. My first job, I'm making 70000 a year. How long does it take you to save up enough money to buy a place in Denver?
3: Well, with an average sales price of seven fifty, almost. Yeah. I and mean, the amount of money that you have to put down, right? At 10, least 10%, 10, right? 10%, let's just say, $75,000. How do you do that?
0: Okay. Live that, in mom and dad's basement. That's Yeah, I guess so. There's more and more people living at home. I guess my point is, is that there is a lot of money for certain sectors of people, certain groups of people. I think the ones who are really going to suffer are that first-time homebuyer. And if you notice in our statistics, the first-time homebuyer percentage actually went down to like 18%. 18%. Like, this is the best time for them to probably buy a house right now because there's, you know, allegedly across the country, there's less competition for the same houses, if you're a first time home buyer in the last ten years in Denver, you're not only competing against the other first time home buyers, you're competing against Wall Street. And that people you know, companies buying dozens and dozens of houses. You know, there was the guy that we had in the uh, the Southwest office, he sold two hundred and fifty houses to one company, one corporation in one year, and they were all five hundred thousand dollar houses. First time home buyer houses.
1: So I have four kids that would be in the you know the early 20s and so the first time home buyer like we're looking at that stuff every day and um, my oldest actually bought a home just like a year and a year and a half ago and the scenario you just presented is is pretty much him and so he was you know saving money and just pocketing it away and he did buy something and so um, I think a big part of what we can bring to you know to these first time home buyers also what you were talking about with investing is mindset and looking at things differently you talked about how employment looks different now because the priority of flexibility has become i mean i think 2020 kind of taught us all that um, you know, but for example, these young twenties somethings are buying homes, and they're doing things that we, as seasoned investors, might not think about doing. House hacking, for example, you know, buy a house and rent out the room.
2: I think your way, your first home is the way, Tammy, for those people to get a duplex, right? Yep. Rent out the other half, maybe rent out one of the bedrooms too of the owner occupied house, right? And just become that landlord right off yep. the bat. Well, I, mean, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, the
0: first place that I lived in, I mean, as a renter in Denver, actually was in Washington Park. It was a, um, it was a little brick bungalow that was a 1,000 square feet up and maybe six or 700 in the basement that they said was finished. <laughs> there were two, I, I lived in the, be, in the basement, and uh, it wasn't really a bedroom, and there was no bathroom. There was one bathroom in the house, so four-bedroom, one-bathroom. And me and three of my friends lived in this house, and the rent was six hundred dollars. Wow, okay, One hundred and fifty dollars a month. it It was not nice, <laughs> okay? And so you know maybe the thing that needs to change with first time homebuyers is the expectation, mm-hmm. okay Like do you you're probably not going to buy a seven hundred thirty seven thousand dollar house, right? But you have to start somewhere, and it's probably going to be better than the alternative where you would rent, right? And so I think it is it is a mindset
3: thing. Do you remember when, I, I don't know, I don't want to speak for you guys, but when it, when you bought your first house, you were like, okay, we bought our house and top ramen again? <laughs> right? yeah. You really didn't have a lot of money to go out and play. And I think that's, again, going back to this lifestyle of the bougie and, man, the drinks and all these, everything costs so much money. I don't want to lose that lifestyle, so I'm going to go do different things. I'll, I'll live with my parents and I'll work for Uber, so I get flexibility. Right? It's just different. Whereas I agree. I think. I think if we can get buyers, especially the first-time home buyers, to change that mindset of, let's be less bougie. Let's put a lot of our a lot of our money is going to go towards our mortgage. It is what it is. And then food. And then. And then whatever's left over, that'll be our fun.
0: That's right, because you can't get the second house until you've gotten the first one. Amen. And so you have to. And the only way you get the second one is by building equity in the first one. Yep. So you have to start somewhere. Okay. So the rest of the numbers, anything else that really stands out to you guys on the rest of the numbers? Uh, we have, uh, you know, average condo price is uh, six fifteen now. Um, let's see here. We have uh, no, price per average square fa- condo is four sixty nine. I'm sorry, four sixty nine. That was the median uh, single family. You're single right. Family. Four sixty nine is average condo. Average price per square, per square foot, two
3: seventy seven for a home. I liked the supply one for new listings. Same thing, last four years, exact same trend lines. So no more inventory coming from new listings again. Yep.
0: Right? Month supply of listings is 1.1 month worth of listings. So pretty much everything we're listing, we're selling.
3: Yep. At pretty much. Asking price right now.
0: At asking price, 99.8%. Average days in the MLS is 37.
2: I think that's the biggest thing that some agents need to make sure that they're setting that proper expectation, right? That Hey, the average days in market right now is 37 days. So Mr. and Mrs. Seller, we may, if we price it appropriately, we can get that bidding war. We can get a couple of people interested in it. If you want to take a little more aggressive approach and go with a higher number, then just know we're going to be, it's not going to be that flash sale, right? We're going to be on the market for... An average of 37 days.
0: Yeah, last year it was 11 days. At this time last year it was 11 days. Now it's 37. Last, last month, year it was 11 hours. <laughs> Felt like it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I they're... mean,
1: sometimes it was negative time frame <laughs> if they could totally. get away with it. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> if you were real good. It was like, who do you know? Yeah, exactly.
0: So what's the conversation you have with your sellers then? And based on what the numbers look like, what are you telling your sellers? Or people that are thinking about selling actually? And they're on the fence and they're thinking, is this a good time to sell?
2: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But then, you know, that's a simple answer. Yes, it's a great time to sell. It's a great time to be there. And then I start customizing the conversations around their priorities. Like how quickly do you need to sell? What is your motivation for selling? What is dragging you out of here? Are you looking to buy into something else? Um, Or are you relocating to a different state? And what do those timelines look like? Because if it's a short timeline – and we're going to have to go probably a little bit below some of the comparable sales out there and track that interest and, and generate that stuff so that we can get that quick sale. Uh, but they need to be comfortable with the listing or taking that risk that we only may get one offer at that list price, which was lower than some of the comparables that were out there. Um, so it's, it's kind of a dance I would say with these sellers and, and based off of their priorities, their needs and their expectations is going to determine how I advise them in terms of pricing.
0: Is it a bad time to sell for anybody, anybody that you could think of where you're just like, you know what, you probably shouldn't do this? You're shaking your head, Tyson. I can't hear you shaking your head. <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> I mean, I can think of one scenario. If, like what Keith was saying, if you know somebody's priorities, like what what is the goal? And if their goal is to be long-term, they want to own a lot of real estate and... You know, like I think if I would have had this advice, I regret selling that duplex that we bought. I mean, it had been long paid for. And we'd just be collecting passive income. Well, our goal as a couple is lots of properties, lots of passive income. And so if their goal was to do something like that, I wish I would have had the advice, advice back in the day to go, you know, take the cash out on that property and buy your next one.
0: I mean, doesn't it make sense that right now, actually, to keep your 3% mortgage in your current house and keep it as an investment property? Forever. And then then buy your next one as your personal residence. I mean, a lot of people that I know, a lot of people that I have conversations with say, I want to buy an investment property. Mm -hmm. Well, you actually already have one.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, you're living in it right now. So why don't you keep that at 3% and then... Buy your next place if you don't need access to that equity.
2: That's true, yeah. Uh, because cash out refi, you're back in the six yeah. and halves, right? You need some options to potentially go with the uh, the HELOCs, but we'll see how that market goes with some of these banks failing recently, and what the credit risks are for uh, some of these banks on the home equity loans and going into a second position.
0: Well, and Sean's not here to defend himself, but he, I, th- I think he's actually out right now researching the uh, demise of Western civilization. <laughs> And so, um, you know, he he thought that was a big deal last month. And I think everybody forgot about that story until you brought it up, Keith, you know, about banks and what happened. I mean, there were a couple banks, but you don't really hear very much about that anymore, right?
2: Yeah, there's not much. I mean, it's still kind of teetering. There's There are a few banks that are out there that are hanging on by a thread, uh, but the government has stepped in and, and given them access to some instant liquidity. Some of the big banks have come in uh, and shored up some of the smaller regional banks and given them $30 billion. Okay, Nice friend
3: to have, right? Just yeah. <laughs> more information has come out about those banks, though, too, and about the type of investors that they had there and the type of money that they were working with. Right. And the games that they were playing. So, Yeah.
0: Which it's, it's always amazing to me. Doesn't it seem like it the easiest business in the world would be to own a bank? You know, people give you their money. You pay them very little interest, and then you charge everybody more. I mean, it seems like that would be an easy game plan, but there have been lots of failures. Hashtag Hashtag mafia. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I got a guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so how about buyers then? So um, is it a good time or a bad time to buy? Everybody's shaking their head. Yeah. Well, I, should, I, I put this on video right now. <laughs> like, I think I'm, that's my goal for the yeah. next week is to get these on video because... You know, you you should see some of the reactions.
2: Or you I could go back do a to the head nod here. Yeah. Yeah. Insert head nod. Yeah. You got a little button sound button for that. <laughs> Seriously. I gotta start playing with those too. Um I would say to answer your question about if if a buyer, you know, if it's a good time to buy, I go back to that old Chinese proverb, right? The best time to plant a tree was a year ago. The best time to do it now is today, mm-hmm. right? Same with the buying. You know, get into a property, buy it today. If you don't have one to start that wealth-building train, regardless of what the interest rates are. Um, and, yes, there may have to be some sacrifices and some things that you have to give up in
3: order to make that happen long-term. It's going to benefit you. What do you think, Tyson? I think it's a – me personally, I think it's a bad time to sell and buy. Yeah. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You had yeah. that queued up? <laughs> that was messed up, That's bro. That's perfect. That was perfect. <laughs> Damn it. Um, no, I, I – I just look at, unless you have to, then just if you, I saw the writing on the wall when I was refinancing and everyone was refinancing at these low rates. I was like, once everyone locks in and it goes up, who's going to want to move away from that? The ones that have to. And if you don't have to, hold tight, have fun, and enjoy that you're not paying 6 7% on an interest rate right now. So what are you waiting for? That just rates to come down? Or prices. Okay. I think it's because right now you're, I think you're at the tip top, right? Prices are at their all time high and interest rates are at their all time high for the prices at where we're at now, right? Like going back to your 8% at a $50,000 house purchase, that that makes sense. But for $750,000, it's seven, you know, 10% down, 20% down to then have to be at 7%, let's just be fair, 6% right now ish, right? It just, why would you, unless, see, why would you, unless you had something that was so motivating to make it happen?
0: But think about the person, though, the person who has had multiple transactions over the last 20 years. Okay. Okay. So you buy your first place, build a little equity, buy your second place, build more equity. Some of those people, you know, on a $2 million house might only owe five or 600000 so it's not gonna affect them very much to buy, you know, the two and a half million or three million dollar houses as versus a
3: person who doesn't have much of a down payment. Going back to what the boomers are now taking over because it's not much of an impact to them. They're playing with more money with less the interest rates don't matter. I love it. I love that it switched over. So it's like and I just I keep going back to these boomers. They're like, they love this market. They don't wanna go out in the market where they have to make an offer in minutes and pay over asking. They like this slower paced 35 days on the market. So I, I think that's going to be the trend. Those are the people they're going to be buying. And and if you, unless you're renting, I always say buy. Please don't rent. Buy something and house hack it. Do something. Own. And I think that's another opportunity that we have in this market for first-time home buyers is uh, tenants in common. Go own part of a home with somebody, right? Be a partial owner, but own do not rent.
1: Hey, I'm back. I'm back, baby. See,
3: now that I know about these buttons,
0: <laughs> They got
1: one. <laughs> I'm afraid which ones you'll use yeah. after me. <laughs> um, so one thought is, you know, people are living in their homes longer now. Mm-hmm. And so let's just say people are living in their homes seven, ten, 10 years, years now. Love it. If you go back 100 years and you take any 10-year span, you will always see that A home, any given home, is worth more at the end of the 10 years. So with that in mind, I'm just asking you, like, do you really think it's a bad time to buy? Knowing that if you're probably going to stay in the home or own it for 7 to 10 years, 10 years from now, it's going to be worth more. Again,
3: if you need to make the move, go for it. But if you don't need to, then stop looking. I think, though... That, that you're trying to factor in
0: timing the market, too. Go okay? on. And so if you had a crystal ball, you could say next year in July is going to be the bottom. Sure. Then you would tell everybody to buy in June, right? The problem is you don't know until after it's already happened. You can't predict. Like, you know, there are definitely people out there who show these stats And then they predict, or they say, "This is what's going to happen," but nobody knows.
3: That's why the the reality is nobody
0: knows. The peak of my mountain last year. You're right, but the fact is, is that what if you take the the average increase in home over the over a 30 year period is four percent per year. Yep. Okay. So ultimately, it's going to go up, and and so I think where people get in trouble is they try to time it at the right point. You know, we all have a a past client or not even a client, a past friend or somebody in our database who said, I'm going to wait for the market to crash. And that was 15 years ago and it still, you know, it crashed once and they didn't do anything. And so, you know, the thing about homeownership is it's the best way for people to build wealth, right? You build equity. It's forced savings. And so I think whenever you jump in, it's a good time. You know, I wouldn't wait... If um you know, you're, you're waiting a around,
3: homeowner, you're not waiting.
0: You're right. But I, I don't think you wait for for rates to come down or prices to come down. I mean, you know, what would have happened if I would have you know waited in nineteen ninety-seven to buy my home in Platte Park? Yep. And I said, Wow, why would anybody pay a hundred fifty thousand dollars for this hundred year old house that needs to be fixed up? Right? But the fact is that it went up and up and up. And it came down a little bit. If if real estate's going to go down, it's only going to go
3: down for a couple of years at, at max. I get it. Even in Platt Park, if we could have told you in two thousand eight or nine, buy in Platt Park, even though it was at the bottom, it's still even if it was less than it was in two thousand five, it's still a million times better today than it was. Going back to that ten year cycle and four percent interest uh, year over year, I get it. I'm just but of all years like what what do you need Uh, real fast this is what the question i like to ask what's everybody's mortgage and you don't have to say it but most of us were in the 2000s and now it's the 3000s and then how much did your income come up by oh not much okay well there's an extra thousand dollars that you're now paying a month and what do you lose out on because of that and again we've all been really living the good life. Everybody has been living the good life.
0: Yeah, but I think though you're what you're losing out on are the things that you don't have to have. You know, and if you were going to take the other approach of saying we'll just put an extra $1,000 into a bank account or an investment or whatever, you'd get a return on that, right? Mm-hmm. But it's actually I mean, how do you feel about your stocks right now? Yep. No bueno. No, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and so I think the good thing is, is like if you're spending more, you're saving more, you know, your return is more. And so, you know, you, it's obviously you have to be able to afford it, okay? But I think the advice people need to hear is buy more real estate because it is one of the most secure things that you're going to have as an investment your entire life, and it's one of the best returns, Okay. And make sure that you aren't overpaying for a house and you're not, uh, you know, your, your monthly payment isn't more than what you can afford. Right. It really comes down to what you said earlier, Tyson. It's affordability. You know who I learned that from, Brian?
3: I don't know who. Yeah, well, it was you. <laughs> you had a mastermind yeah. a decade ago. Well, not even that. It haven't been that long. Whatever. Several years ago. And it stuck with me. And I believe that. And I, that's, why, that's why I made so much money in the last uh, five years, is because I've been pushing people. Affordability is great. Let's go. Half of my database has got great houses.
0: Yeah. Think how much wealth you actually built for all those people. That's
3: right. Because I was shouting from the top of the mountain, affordability is great. And now <laughs> I guess you're asking me the question. I'm like, eh, affordability is not that great. Y'all but, are good. Hold but, tight for a
0: little bit. You're right. But you lock in your mortgage payments. So the people I think that it's not a good time to buy right now is anybody who says, I'm buying and I want to sell in less than three years. <laughs> sure. Okay. Right. Yeah. Get that Agreed. Thing. Yep. Yep. Right. So if you're going to stay there six, eight, I mean, the average now I think is over 10 years. So if you're going to stay there 10 years, you know, you lock
3: in your mortgage payment for 10 years, 10 years from now, hopefully you're making more money. And Tammy's right real fast. Going back to my number, the, if you buy something 10 years later, it's always worth more. If you, mm-hmm. Anytime you look at the Denver market. So when I said that uh, my number that this is the highest that we're going to see for the next 10 years, Let's just say five. Let's just <laughs> get that. Oh, already I already mean, backtracking. No! <laughs> worth a shot. All right, ten All years. Right.
0: So we uh, we actually are almost out of time. So anything else that stands out about the numbers, or anything else that you think people should know about? I
2: just have conversations with your clients is really kind of the best things. Get to understand them. Let them see your heart and your authenticity that you are truly there as a consultant to help them out and get to, you know, the places that they want to go. Um, that will will take you a, a long way. And obviously, know the numbers, right? You got to be able to be that, that expert um, and that consultant, so...
0: Yeah, you know what's funny is, is I wanted to do this to talk about the local numbers because everybody talks about the national numbers, right? Mm-hmm. And that's not like – you can't relate to that because there are other people in other states where their numbers are far worse than what they are in Colorado, right? But isn't it true that individual cities or maybe even individual
2: neighborhoods have completely different numbers than what we're talking about today? Absolutely. Yeah, there's different sections of you know different zip codes that, that are experiencing micro – markets that are out there um some that aren't as hot as others so it's absolutely you got to get into the the individual information study the market so that you can direct and consult them perfectly so that they do buy that house they do see that appreciation and they have nothing but gratitude for your assistance and, and advice okay Tyson what do you got
3: I have talked enough. <laughs> no one needs to hear more from you me. You want to backtrack or something you said earlier today. <laughs> yeah, Keith.
1: Not going to go from 5 years <laughs> to 3. Yeah, 3. Right. Um, since be Sammy's a- Yeah, there we go. There we go. <laughs> I mean, I I think along the lines of what Keith said is is working with agents that are not just in it for a sale, but they actually care about you and your goals. And um, you know, it's it's we it's our job to tell the right story and to educate and to help control mindset like you know like by educating people um uh, before this call. I looked up what was the average sales price in Denver for this these time frames, and I looked it on Zillow and we were off by about two hundred thousand dollars yeah, and so what that tells me is what people are being educated by and what they see can be very deceiving. And so our job to be educators and to really um, teach people what the truth is, is huge. And there's a lot of opportunity for us.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think Zillow uh, is very proud of my house. And so, uh, yeah, education is key with people because people are in different situations. And, And I think... You know, it isn't a matter of just spending more in the same place you're at. If you need a bigger house, you could spend the same amount of money and go further out in the suburbs and get a bigger house for the same amount, maybe the same payment. And so it's really finding out what's most important for people. Some people need a smaller house. a lot of people downsizing right now. A lot of people moving back towards the city. They don't want to have the commute. I mean, traffic in Denver is... Is definitely a factor mm-hmm. and so you have to find out exactly what their priorities are and then you make the decision each person if it's the best time for them so that being said I hope everybody enjoyed the podcast today thank you Tammy Daly for coming in and sitting with us my pleasure putting up with us <laughs> <laughs> and so I uh, appreciate everybody and uh, we'll talk to you soon